Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It's time to talk about the midfield. The Red Machine's engine is misfiring, but what broke the midfield? Too much technicality rather than functionality? A lack of a midfield succession plan? Is the simplest signing due Bellingham to fix it all? And if the midfield being broken wasn't bad enough, now Virgil van Dijk set for a spell on the sidelines... To get into all of this, providing their insight and analysis, we've got James Pearce and Andy Jones. And to be honest, if Liverpool's recruitment policy was as good as the Athletics, there wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> right, chaps, since the last podcast, what's your feeling? Three words. Sum up how you feel about Liverpool in the last couple of days. Andy. Um, three words. Uh, will it end? <laughs> I think it's, uh, I mean, the, the, the Rage of Van Dyke news has just been uh, sort of that nail in the coffin of I'm fed up with this. <laughs> so, yeah, when, when will it end? Uh, James, beat that. I've got three words for you on the midfield, Tony pedestrian, porous, ineffective. Ooh, harsh, cruel, but correct. How much, James, is it a worry? We've been talking about it for so long, but it seems to be like a snowball, doesn't it? It just builds and builds and builds. And what we saw at Brentford just set off every alarm bell you've got. Yeah, it, it did. It did. And I think the most worrying thing was it wasn't a massive surprise, was it? I think even, you know, I was down at Villa Park on Boxing Day and at Anfield four days later, and the the alarm bells were ringing even in those victories because they were both far from convincing. And it was a similar story, you know, when results were picking up before Christmas, there just wasn't that fluency, that control that we've come to expect from a, from a club team that's certainly been lost since, since last season. And yeah, it felt like all the chickens kind of came home to roost on that miserable night at Brentford. I know we're going to focus mainly on the midfield in this episode. And I think rightly so, because it is, you know, a hot topic, but, you know, let's make no mistake. You know, there wasn't a single department of that team that was functioning properly. You can't blame the midfield for the inability to do the basics right from set pieces. You know, it's not the midfield that was solely to blame for getting bullied and losing so many physical battles all over the pitch. And it certainly wasn't the midfield that were that were missing decent chances and being kind of completely nullified as an attacking force. So um yeah, that was the most worrying thing for me from that defeat was that there was so much wrong. Andy, I, I agree with all that. And do you think that's true? Maybe the midfield and focusing on it so much is distracting us from some of the other issues, from the, the tactics to the individual errors. I think there definitely is an element to that because, as you say, you know, Liverpool should be 1-0 up in that game. Darwin Nunes should score. And then that, that changes the whole complexion because of the way you're then able to, to try and take control of a game. Whereas 
when you are at nil nil and both sides are going at it and then and then when you go one nil down suddenly the game naturally stretches because you've got to try and get back into it and you you know you, you're liable to leave more space in behind but it does feel like that is the center to everything if liverpool had more control of games and, and your control comes from the midfield yes you can't you know you can't facilitate the midfield can't stop conceding set pieces they can help, but certainly, you know, when a ball bounces off Canate and goes into the corner, there's not much a midfield can do about that, shall we say. But um, I think they give you, especially in a Klopp system, they give you the control to go and to be able to, 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 you know, defend how you want to defend with the high line, but also then continue to create chances, continue to recycle the ball and make you the better side in the game. And if you haven't got that control and teams are either able to, to play through your midfield or play over it because your press isn't right, and the forward three play a part in that. If their press isn't right, then it doesn't, certainly doesn't help the midfield. But that is the that's the control room, if you like. And, and in Klopp's best sides, they've always won the midfield battle. And if you aren't winning the midfield battle, then you know you're not going to win many football games for any team, really. Well, you know, we can see what our eyes are telling us. But let's have a look at what the numbers say. Let's see what the stats are telling us about the Liverpool midfield. Hello, Mark Carey here, data analyst for The Athletic. And I've been trying to to look where the issues are in Liverpool's midfield. And obviously it's a, it's a complex, it's a it's a nuanced answer. I think that a simple place to start is, is that Liverpool have arguably not had Fabinho, Jordan Henderson and Thiago all fit and on form at the same time. I think they've either been injury issues or simply poor form that's, that's hampered them at I guess a little look at the numbers does point to a bit of a drop-off in Liverpool's success in the counter-press this season compared with last year. So a successful counter-press here is is when the ball is lost in the attacking 60% of the pitch, so just before the, the halfway line and, and recovered within that same area, within eight seconds of losing it. Liverpool's success here has has dropped off more than more than most in the Premier League. It's still good but it has fallen off and it could be one of the, the things that's suggesting why maybe Liverpool are so exposed in the defensive line because they're unable to implement that counter-press quite as effectively and they're, they're not stopping those uh, opponent attacks at source from, from obviously the midfield area and the, the forward line as well. And we, we obviously know about the, the high line of Liverpool as well and the, the cost-benefit of, of having that approach, but I think... I think I said this on a different podcast that once what was once their strength is sort of becoming their weakness a little bit more in that ability to be devastating in the transition. Those sort of moments where the ball is kind of not owned by either side and often Liverpool used to be so, so good at winning the ball back and attacking with speed, but they, they seem to be doing that a lot less from an attacking perspective, but teams are now punishing them more than ever. And without that counter press, that defensive line is far more vulnerable. And again, looking at the numbers, Liverpool are averaging more direct attacks conceded. So that's possessions that, that start in the opponent's defensive half and, and result in a shot or a touch in the penalty area within 15 seconds of recovering the ball. So you could think of that as a as a proxy for counter-attacks. And yeah, Liverpool are averaging more direct attacks conceded um, this season than each of their last three seasons when looking on a per 90 basis. So it shows just how much more vulnerable they are to the counter-attack and teams aren't scared to really kind of go for the jugular against Liverpool. And you saw that in the, the Brentford goal, uh, their third goal, Brian and Buemo, the boards are going straight through to essentially a one-on-one -on -one battle against Ibrahim and Canate. loses out. Buemo might cash in. Canate's gone down and Buemo puts it 
other examples for goals you think about the the one that Gabriel Martinelli scored for Arsenal in the early stages of of that game in the first minute of the game just simply straight through Liverpool's midfield without too much of an issue so again it shows just how vulnerable they are and how many big chances they're offering up as a consequence of just that that defence being vulnerable from I guess little or a lack of presence in midfield so you know, a return to the numbers is showing that Liverpool have faced 51 big chances this season, which is big chances being a situation where a player should reasonably be expected to score. And only Leeds United and Fulham have got a worse record in the Premier League so far this season. So again, it just shows just how susceptible they are to not just conceding shots, but conceding big chance shots as well. Again, because they seem to be able to reach those lucrative areas far more easily rather than the midfield. And of course, the forward line shutting it down. Well, that's remarkable. You know, I think when you're looking at a situation where only Fulham and Leeds have conceded more big chances, well, that's a shocker really, isn't it, James? It's scary, absolutely scary. How easy it is to get at this Liverpool team when you, when you know, opt to define that as um, you know a, a chance that they'd expect to be tucked away, and it, it makes you realise that you know, but for some poor finishing from the opposition and the heroics of Alison Becker, Liverpool would be cut even further away from the top four. So yeah, it, it just it just underlines just how easy it is to get at this team. The midfields. At its best, was really functional, wasn't it? You know, we're talking Fabinho, we're talking Henderson, we're talking Wijnaldum. And yeah, people complain because they weren't that, those traditional midfielders. They weren't the get up on the edge of the box and score, you know, and all that. But what they did, they did the jobs really well. And it's changed. It, it's There's more talent, more basic talent in the midfields, but they're not doing the job as well. I mean, is that... Is that the essence of the problem? You can be too talented to play in Klopp's midfield. I, I, I do think that there's a, there's a point in that, yeah, because, I mean, you look at that midfield, we, we briefly mentioned it on the last podcast, but you, you look at that midfield of Thiago, Elliott and Fabinho, and if you were con- to compare it to Wijnaldum, Henderson, Fabinho, for example, it's quite clear who's got more technical talent, you would you would say, um, and, to, and and who would, the, the type of midfield that would provide more creativity, the difference being, obviously, is that you can sort of, if you want to be creative, does it, they're a different type of player to, as you say, that, that that function in midfield, which was I felt was always about winning the battle rather than you know the creativity and and that was and as you say that was always the complaint, wasn't it? it was oh, this midfield what like what does it do? Does it does it score enough goals? Those gen- generally the opinion does it provide enough creativity? That was questioned at times, but when you have a front three as dynamic as, as Mane, uh, Firmino and Salah was, that it, it didn't really matter because they could just do it all themselves. But what the midfield allowed them to do was it continued to provide them the service of the ball for them to be the creative sparks. And then, of course, you had the full-backs who were able to continuously bomb on. But also, be, you know, you'd still retain that midfield solidity. And it almost feels like because Liverpool have now tried to be more creative in those areas and they've had they've recruited a different type of player like Harvey Elliott is completely different to Jordan Henderson he's completely Thiago is completely different to to Wijnaldum I think anyway and that sort and, and what you would expect those type of players to be is what Liverpool's midfielder sort of looked like and I have felt a little bit sorry for Fabinho at times when he's played in in these types of midfields like he did against Brentford because he's got so much more ground to cover than he already did and he had a lot to do when it was, you know, a Wayne Aldum and a Henderson. So, um, but that, again, it's not to criticise, you know, Harvey Elliott shouldn't be, 
you know, getting so much flack, you know, for, for this because he's, you know, he's still so young. He's still, he's still learning again. This is really his, his first proper season, you know, because of, of, of injuries and stuff like that. And, and it should not be a falling on him to, to try and sort this problem. But that's the situation they've put it in. They've not, they've not really got that recruitment. Well, they haven't recruited the material really. And, and Thiago being the only one, I, I think sort of underpins it all in that he's such a change from the man he basically brought in to replace Gini Wijnaldum. Next, we'll look at the components that make up the midfield and what surgery is required to fix it. The best word I can say, but uh, we'll describe this, was boom. It's Tony Evans here with James Pearce, Andy Jones with the Walk On podcast from The Athletic. We're talking about the Liverpool midfield. There's been lots of words said about it, but the, and probably many attempts to fix it from Jürgen Klopp and co, but... Nothing seems to resolve itself. We don't seem to be any further along the line to getting a coherent unit. James, he's got a lot of options on paper. Well, he's got quite a few options on paper, but a lot of them are young. A lot of them are very, very talented players. But very few of them actually look to suit the needs for Liverpool Football Club at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think, you know, the biggest thing for me when I look at it is you think of you know what makes a you know a midfielder in his coming into his his peak you know who's there that's really going to be operating at the peak of their powers and you think well you look at that age range of between say 24 and and 29 and the only ones out of you know I've listed 10 midfielders here that Klopp can call upon because it's I think when when the midfield debate comes up Klopp you know, whenever he's asked about it, he gets quite touchy and says, you know, how many midfielders do you want? And he rattles off the names and Fabinho, Cater, Jones, Thiago, Henderson, Elliot, Milner, Oxley, Chamberlain, Arthur, obviously he's on loan. And now we've got Stefan Bersetic added to that mix as well. But it's in terms of the age range, that's a big thing for me because you've got in that bracket I talked about, you've got Cater who's 27, you've got Oxley, Chamberlain who's 29 and Arthur who's 26, Fabinho who's 29. And all the other ones are either, you know, youngsters still learning their trade or ones that you'd have to say are past their best. And that is a big issue for me. And, and I think that does come back to recruitment. The fact that Liverpool have only, you know, Thiago's the only senior midfielder they bought since Cater came in in summer of 2018. And that is, has really hurt them, you know, especially this season. You know, the drop off in Fabino is a big factor in this because, Yes, numbers-wise, Liverpool are well-stacked. But in terms of quality and durability, they are big, big problems because there's too many players there that Klopp can't count on on a regular basis. I'm going to see you with there, James, because I remember talking to Klopp early on in the season in, uh, or what year would it have been, when we played Southampton early on the season. And I said to him, what's your best midfield? What's your best midfield? And he was a bit like, ah, ah. Yeah, he said, I've got lots of great midfields. He's got lots of great midfielders. It doesn't really matter. And I've always got that sense from him. He's kind of good players or fix themselves. I mean, you've spoken to him about the midfield on plenty of occasions. Did you get a similar sort of feeling from him? Yeah, but I think part of what you said then comes back to, you know, he's he's very much about the collective and the squad, isn't he? And I don't think he likes the idea of when you start talking about first 11s, it almost then, you know, that you almost then put in the rest of the players in a secondary bracket. And he, you know, we know that he's, big thing for Klopp is everyone is a part of it. You know, whether you play 10 minutes or 90 minutes, you're just as important to him. But, you know, I think we know, don't we, that for quite a while it was Fabino, Wijnaldum, Henderson. That was the midfield that won Liverpool the, the European Cup. And then, of course, the transition from 
Thiago coming in and Wijnaldum leaving, Fabinho Henderson, Thiago. And, you know, I think when those three were fully fit and firing, that, that is a very good midfield. I think sometimes you can get a bit lost in the fact we forget that rewind seven, eight months and we were talking about a Liverpool team that could potentially have pulled off an unprecedented quadruple. You know, they're only... They got 91 points, won both domestic cups, you know, but for some unbelievable saves in the Champions League final last season would have been very different. But the issue there is that, you know, Henderson and Thiago have both had injury issues. They're both also, you know, the wrong side of 30. So those issues are unlikely to get better. And I think, you know, there's signs of a, a drop off in their output as well. And despite the fact that Fabino is only 29 and you'd like to think you know, that should be in the modern game, a player at his peak. The worry is that we've already had his peak as well. And then when you look at the supporting cast, the quality just isn't there, is there? Klopp isn't blind to it because despite, you know, I, I was sat there before the start of pre-season when he, he was like exacerbated saying, you know, I don't understand this discussion over why do people want another midfielder? And, you know, he said, what, you know, what do you want? You know, a golden cow and, and all this stuff. And, but the reality was Liverpool had side, tried to sign Tushimani from, from Monaco and were, and were gutted when he chose Real Madrid instead. So he's, he's not blind to, to this. Um, it was just that, you know, they, they couldn't get who they wanted in the summer and decided to sit tight. And now, you know, um, the, the reality is they're paying the price for that. Andy, should we be making more of Thiago's strengths in passing? Should his, his game be restyled to try and be more direct? To get some of those balls, you know, we all love we all love his passes, and you know, he you know he knocks the ball from side to side with a little flourish on it. You know, it's um, almost like a golfer's swing through at times, and you think, oh yeah, that's brilliant aesthetically, it's beautiful. But does it get us any further forward? Should we be looking to him to be more creative, to find those front men in the area to thread the ball through? Do you think that would make a change to the midfield? I think that's what we all kind of expected when he came in, wasn't it? He was going to be that passer that Liverpool's midfield had never really, really had under Klopp. He was going to, you know, break lines and and really, really help the the front three in terms of you know picking out their runs and because of you know because you just see it as as you say when he. When he passes the ball, and he, he is liable for a, a loose pass every now and again. But generally, you know, when he's on it, and it, you know his passing radar's on, he can hit any pass. You pointed out his his assist total, and I think it was four in in fifty nine or something like that. And that it should be more than that for someone who's so good at passing. Yeah, you, yeah. you want more. So yeah. whether it's it's one of them, isn't it? Should he be further up the pitch? But equally, you feel like maybe he was brought in to give Liverpool more control in the midfield area to be on the ball more and therefore technically do a little bit less running, if that makes sense. I, I don't know if if that was the plan, but that sort of sort of makes sense when you when you when you think about it. But yeah, it, it does feel like he should be creating more. He should be the one who's finding the killer passes. But equally that's evidently not not necessarily his game. He's more of that sort of deeper and I think he generally has been throughout his, his career, that, that sort of deeper you know, playing in that deeper role and, and, and making and you know, making side to tick basically, but also but do it in a way that's, you know, so much better in terms of the way he can pass the ball and, and the, the angles he can hit and, and what he can see on the pitch. But it does feel like for a guy who who sees, you know, two, three pictures ahead, you know, he's got that that mindset and, and that, that football and brain. For someone who can see so far ahead about what's gonna happen, you would think that he would have had more impact in terms of creativity and you know, that's not necessarily dozens at all because, you know, you can have the assist before the assist and all that type of stuff and he, he can be important in building the play. But you would think that he would 
given his range, given his, his passing ability, that he would have had more effect in, in creating chances for others. I think that transition from being a functional midfield to more of a creative one has been quite problematic. And I didn't, I didn't really have a problem with them doing it because I think Klopp and Linders, they often talk, don't they, about the, the value of unpredictability and, and just because something has been successful, it doesn't mean that you just stick with it and do the same thing over and over again because, you know, eventually teams will find you out. That is the reality of elite level sport. You know, we see that when teams come up from the championship and they're a bit of an unknown quantity and, and then suddenly, you know, six months down the line, they found life a hell of a lot tougher when people know what to expect and it's no different at the top end of the league. Yeah, and I, and I think t- signing the Thiago was, was a big thing in terms of, you know, we can't just rely on Alexander-Arnold and Robertson to create everything. We need to have other avenues. And But, you know, part of the issue has been that Thiago has missed so much football as well. You know, I think the last time I checked, it's about, you know, a third of the game since he's been at the club, he hasn't been available for. So that that's an issue because it, there isn't another player in that midfield department who's anything like Thiago. So if you're an attacker, it's almost like a different approach, whether Thiago's in there or whether he's not. You know, I think the other issue at the minute in terms of for the midfield is obviously whether Firmino is playing or Nunes is playing. It's two completely different things, isn't it? Because... Firmino loves to drop off. He's the the ultimate false nine link in play. Whilst Nunes, you know, he he wants that ball in behind. He wants something to to run onto all the time. And then, you know, when Firmino drops off, then suddenly there's space for Salah. When I think with Nunes, there's you know, I think Salah and Nunes is more of a work in progress in terms of who you know who's running into what space. And and so that complicates things for the midfield as well when they're looking up and trying to pick a pass. So. Um, I must admit, like in the long list of issues in that midfield, I don't, I don't see Thiago as as one of the problems. To be honest, because you know I thought against Leicester in the last home game, he was for me he was Liverpool's best player, and I absolutely I love watching him. I I still think he's a joy to have in there, but it's it's more an issue for me of what's going on around him. Yeah, without his house, and I think one of the things that the midfield discussions have kind of covered is um, is Salah's drop-off in form as well. But that's a conversation for another day. Andy, what do you think? Is it time for a clear-out? <laughs> well, I think one one might be coming anyway, I think, isn't it? Given the contract situations of of players, I mean, you would, you would be very surprised unless, you know, Artur Mello has, you know, this an incredible second half of the season that Liverpool would love to take up the, the option to sign him permanently. And, you know, it feels like it's, it's going to be the final season of, of James Milner. Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain aren't exactly... I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain isn't even getting a look at in the midfield. And I know that's partly due to the personnel that Liverpool have got at the moment in terms of where, where they need them to play in, in that sort of left-side left role. But equally, Klopp could play Harvey Elliott there and, and use Ox in, in the centre and, and hasn't chosen to do that. And then Naby Keita as well. Neither of those two have shown sort of you know, any real reason why Liverpool should be desperate to, to, to re-sign them. What you would say is you don't want to lose too many because then you've got to recruit a lot. And if your aim is Jude Bellingham, that's a lot of the transfer money going. So then how are you trying, how are you working around the rest of it? But yeah, I do think it needs it needs a shift because, you know, as, as James touched on before, that sort of, that age range of players, three of the ones who were in that sort of 24 to 29 bracket, are three who could well depart in the summer. 
So you need to replenish that area and you need to restock. I do think there's an element of you just need to completely, you know, freshen it up, freshen it up with fresh legs, with fresh minds, just, re, you know, reset it in a, in a sense, but also still having the players who've been there and done it to learn off the Hendersons, the Tiagos, the Fabinhos, who've been part of excellent midfields on the clock. And also you've then got the Joneses, the Elliots, the Carvalhos will be another year older and will have learned more. I know it doesn't help that, you know, Jones can't seem to stay fit at the moment and therefore is struggling to get playing time. Carvalho has been an unused sub since the uh, the cup game against Manchester City. So it feels like it needs a clear out and it feels like one, you know, is, is, is coming unless Liverpool do something about it anyway. But then it's about how on earth you go about signing the level of play that you need because but they're all going to cost unless you can you can find somebody who's, who's coming out of contract themselves. And if, if one of them is Jude Bellingham, that is going to take up, as I said, a large chunk of it. So then then how, how else do you work around that? I mean, you mentioned Jordan Henderson. And he's reaching the age now where there's going to be a drop-off in his performances. And some of the Henderson haters, after, what, 11 years, are probably going to find themselves having some justification eventually. Um, it's uh, because there's been very little so far. But, James, is Jude Bellingham the magic answer? Are we investing too much, even if he does arrive in one individual? I mean, emotional investment, not financial investments. He can't, he can't be the the kind of the solution to everything because he, as good as he is, there's too many other things that need to be addressed. As Andy said, then just the fact that you've got that situation where Cater and Oxlade, I'd be amazed if either of those are Liverpool players next season, both out of contract. What you know, why? Why would you be rushing to put an extension under their noses at the moment? You know, James Milner, 37. It looks like the natural kind of parting of the ways there. And and obviously, you know, Arthur, barring an absolute transformation in the last few months of the season, Liverpool aren't going to trigger their option to buy him. So we, we know that Jude Bellingham is Liverpool's top target. We know that's one of the reasons why they didn't bring in another midfielder last summer until, you know, they essentially, you know, the injuries got so bad that they, they had to, you know, shop in the bargain basement and find Arthur on on loan from Juventus. But Liverpool need more than Bellingham. And that's that's obviously the the kind of dilemma there in terms of the finances, because when you're battling with Real Madrid and Man City and possibly even Chelsea, Dortmund, you know, confident that he wouldn't go for less than 120, 130 million pounds. And then it's a question of can Liverpool really commit that kind of money when there's so much else that needs needs doing in that window? I think it would be easier if you would, if you did look at it and go, yeah, do you know what? They're one signing short from being, you know, proper contenders again. But but they're not, are they? Can Fabino get back to where he was? Jordan Henderson, I think. I think people have got very short memories, haven't they? And you're right in the fact that there's for so long there's been this bizarre kind of a you know amongst the minority of Liverpool fans you know disrespect for Henderson and, and what he's given to the club over such an extended period but probably his performance against Leicester in the last home game was manna from heaven for them because I thought he did struggle but let's let's not go over the overboard you know a month ago everyone was rightly raving about Jordan Henderson he was getting picked on merit to start for England in the knockout stages of the World Cup because we, we saw then when Henderson's got legs around him like he had at the World Cup with Bellingham and with Declan Rice, he looked a completely different proposition. So, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love Bellingham. Every time I watch him play, I'm just more of an admirer. I think he'd be perfect for Liverpool. And, you know, there's ways of structuring deals to make it affordable with 
you know, spacing the payments out over a number of years. But yeah, let's that, not kid ourselves that that, that that would sort everything out because because it wouldn't. And staying with you, James, the other names that have been bandied around, you know, Enzo Fernandez, Mateus Nunes, they've all been linked at times. How much validity do you actually um, attach to those stories? The only one of those names you mentioned that I'd attach some validity to would be um, Mateus Nunes at, at Wolves because um, we know that Liverpool have got a long-standing interest in him. They were linked with him last summer when he got a move quite late in the window, didn't he? I think he moved from Sporting to to Wolves and yeah, he, he's certainly still a player that, that Liverpool are interested in. You know, there was some suggestion this week that there's a, a commitment on Liverpool's part to bid for him in the summer. I'd can't say that's my information at the moment. I don't I don't know that to be true and I'm not quite sure how it would work in terms of committing to bid for someone. But yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if if he was another name that they decided to pursue, although you'd have to say his first what five months at Wolves, he's hardly set the world alight. You know, it's you know, his game time has been quite limited there and he hasn't been able to show what he can do. But he's a you know, he's a Mendes client and we know that, you know, Liverpool have got close links there with, you know, his Mendez's agency also look after Jota, who obviously Liverpool bought from Wolves a few years ago. They look after Fabino and they look after Darwin Nunes. So um, it's um, that's one to keep an eye on. But no, those those are the names you mentioned. I mean, yeah, Enzo Fernandez with you know, what is it, a hundred million pounds? I mean, that lots of speculation linking in with Chelsea at the moment. But there's there's no chance that Liverpool will be part of that conversation. Uh, Mendes as an agent. I thought he was our director of football. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different podcast, that one. <laughs> <laughs> We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. It's a decent looking corner pick. Five years ago today, five years, can you believe it? It's that long. On the 5th of January, Virgil van Dijk made his Liverpool debut. And not only was he brilliant, he scored. And not only did he score, he scored against Everton. What more could you have wanted? Andy. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was um, there's ways of announcing yourself to a new, a new supporters uh, you know, group, isn't there? And there's no better way to do it than scoring in a derby. Uh, the winner, Antonoch. Everton held the cup, you know, which which just put the you know the cherry, cherry on top, didn't it? Yeah, I can't believe it's five years myself. I, I sort of when we were, when I was reading through the notes and saw it was five years, I was like, no, nah, surely not. It doesn't feel like he's been around for that long, does it? But then that sort of you know, but he has underpinned you know everything at Liverpool. You know, has been successful at Liverpool over the last last number of years on the Klopp, and 
you know, his his signing and then followed by Allison's are the two sort of key ones, aren't they, to, to Liverpool sort of sorting those those defensive and goalkeeper problems out that they'd had for so long. It was the first time I thought about that for, for a long time, you know, going back to that night and there. Yeah, I, I remember the sort of the start of the game and there was just this air of confidence and I think um, the, the way he just was so cool on the ball and he got pressed a few times um, and he was he was still just just you know un- unnerved in any sense and he got the, he got the pass away but there was a few sort of a uh, few nervous shuffles in the crowd a little bit because of just what we'd I guess what we'd come to expect from the Liverpool centre halves at times that preceded them that sort of air of confidence and invincibility I guess is is something he's he's carried through the rest of his Liverpool career even even if he has sort of struggled I guess you know, at the start of this season, but but who hasn't in that Liverpool team, I guess? James, few players in the history of the club have been as transformative as Van Dijk. I mean, you know, there's almost, within the Klopp period, there's a, there's a pre-Van Dijk and a post-Van Dijk era. You know, it's like when he arrived, it's almost the watershed in the fortunes of this team. Yeah, I've, I must admit, I, I've never seen one single player come into a team and have such a transformative effect. You know, when you think where Liverpool were at, it's easy to forget now when you, you think of what Liverpool have, have achieved, but where they were when he arrived in that, what was it, you know, the deal was done in late December 2017 and then obviously confirmed at the start of the January 2018. You know, the, the thought then of Liverpool getting to a Champions League final still seemed like a bit of a pipe dream. And, you know, there, there's no way that would have, you know, Kiev would have happened without Van Dijk. There's no chance that winning it the following season or and then winning the, the Club World Cup and the Premier League title, everything that's that's followed. He he's been the, the biggest trigger for me. I think, you know, you could argue, you know, as Andy said, Alisson would have to be up in the same conversation. But I think, yeah, just in terms of where Liverpool were at in terms of, you know, defensively before Van Dijk, it's not just his skill set, is it? I think it's it's his ability to make players around him better. You look at you know, someone like Joel Matip, surely he must thank his lucky stars every day that he got to play with Virgil van Dijk because he wouldn't have he wouldn't have achieved anything like he's achieved without it because he's just a leader, he's an organiser, you know, that calmness, that, you know, that composure, you know, just the distribution as well. Just, you know, if you were trying to, if you were making a centre-half in a factory, you'd you'd make Virgil van Dijk, wouldn't you? He's just been absolutely immense. And then, you know, you, you only had to look at where Liverpool were in that season after he suffered that ACL. If, you, if no one fully appreciated what he was and his importance, you certainly you certainly did then because the void he left behind was was absolutely vast. You know, obviously he's got that contract, doesn't he, for another another few years. And I think when the time does come, when he brings the curtain down in his Liverpool career, will he'll quite rightly be mentioned up there with with the all time greats because um, he certainly belongs in that bracket. Troy Deeney was quoted as saying, "You know, not only is he brilliant, he smells great." And yeah, you know, it's 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 a good line. But I did um I did I did a podcast with Troy Deeney, and he, he he wouldn't stop talking about. It. He goes, he does really smell good. You know, it's unbelievable. How can you smell like that on a football pitch? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, certainly the, no one smelled like that when uh, I played in the Kirby League. But um, now he's injured, and we're worried about him coming back for the Champions League. That's a huge concern, isn't it, Andy? Oh, massive! As I said, at the start of the podcast, that that news was just sort of that the final, final, you know, that final blow. I guess that we've been not wanting all season. Just the, you know, following that Brentford, you know, results. Not having him is is a huge concern. It's it's going to be a huge, huge test 
you know, for, for John Matter, for Ibrahim Canate and, and Joe Gomez, just not having him, you know, in his presence there because, you know, I think he, I think he smelled so nice because he never got out of second gear, did he? He never, never put a sprint in, so he never, he never sweated. So I imagine that's why. Um, but yeah, just, just having his presence there changes things and, and suddenly you're not going to be, you're not going to have that, you know, you, You've now, you know, sort of relying a lot more on Joel Matip and, and hopefully staying injury free. You've got Joe Gomez who, you know, is continuing to try and search for that form that he, that he, you know, he had before, you know, a couple of seasons ago alongside Van Dijk. So it's, it's big pressure on them. And yet it's just not having him suddenly Liverpool, even <laughs> they felt frail. Now they feel, you know, unbelievably fragile. It'd be interesting to see how, if, if Liverpool adapt defensively to, to his absence and if they try and, if they have to change things to, you know, if they maybe drop the line a little bit deeper or, you know, who's going to be, you know, that that presence, I guess. You know, the thoughts of him missing that, you know, that Champions League game, which, you know, against Real Madrid, you know, it's, it's going to be massive. So hopefully David Ornstein reported he's, he's going to see a specialist and, and, you know, for scans and stuff like that. So hopefully it's better news than, than what is, you know, initially feared. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a huge mission. It's it's going to be a you know a big test again, another one for Liverpool to to try and get through this this period of you know while while he's absent. You know, what have you heard, James? What are we looking at in terms of time out? Yeah, well, the the, the fear is up to six weeks. Um, so we know that he went to see the the specialist on on Wednesday. So you know, I think probably in the next couple of days they'd probably be clearer on the on the time scale. But that that was what that I was told that. The fear was around six weeks, which which would you know take us up to the middle of February and and a bit of a race to be fit for that first leg of the Champions League tie against the uh, against Real Madrid. So yeah, big big blow. Hopefully, hopefully they can shave a couple of weeks off that and get him back beforehand. Because thankfully, you know January isn't too busy, is it? In terms of scheduling, now Liverpool are out of the League Cup. But the, you know the big thing for me is Klopp is you know I, we we talk a lot about his man management ability and. I think that has to come to the fore now with someone like Ibrahima Kanate because he's had a he's had a rough few weeks. Kanate with talk about the ups and downs of football of just about forcing his way into the France squad for the World Cup and you know delivering some you know really great performances. Then you know the disappointment of of missing out on the starting lineup for the final, then coming on in a World Cup final, which you know is a an honour that very few people get to experience, but then the heartache of, of losing to Argentina and then you know, the first game back the other night against Brentford, you know, couldn't have gone much worse for him, could it? With, you know, an own goal that he couldn't really do much about. And then, you know, he had to be stronger for that third goal. I know Klopp was convinced it was a shove, but for me, for a big fella, he's, he's got to hold his own better than he did. Yeah, Liverpool need Canate. He's still young, but, you know, they're without their defensive leader now. And that is what's worried me Previously, when we've had a combo of Matip Gomez back there, that you know they're both very gifted centre backs in their own right, but neither of them are particularly vocal, and both of them I think look look better when they've got someone like a Van Dijk alongside them. So um, yeah, Canate is going to be important, even more important to Liverpool, and, and also I think probably there's going to be a knock on effect there for for Nat Phillips, who he was looking to get away in this January window, but you know with the Van Dijk injury, you know it's, that's probably put put the um the kibosh on that I think you know because he'll, he'll probably be needed as cover may even play against Wolves on Saturday night yeah I mean and it's also a knock-on effect on the midfield we've been talking about the midfield they're gonna have to think more about screening that defense now aren't they you can be fairly sure you don't have to look too much over your shoulder when Van Dijk's there you know you have to do a bit of that but yeah it takes a little bit of pressure off 
But when he's not there, you do have to worry and you do have to fill in there. Andy, what about the FA Cup? What about Wolves? Do we care? <laughs> um, I think I'd take any wins for Liverpool at the moment, any any little little moments of positivity. So, you know, a win in the FA Cup would be uh, would be lovely. A win of any kind would be lovely, I think, after, after that Brentford after that Brentford game. It's one of them, you're the holders, aren't you? So you want to go and, you know, defend your, defend your title and you want to put up a, a good show. And it'll be, be interesting to see the side he picks um, for it and whether he goes to, you know, as he, as he has in early rounds of competitions and looks to play those younger players or whether he, he tries to use it as a bit of a, you know, right, no, we need to, we need to take this very, very seriously in terms of first 11 on the pitch, try and, you know, work on it all week tactically, try and get things a bit more solid. It's important because you need to start. You need to try and build. You know, start trying to build momentum again. You had a little bit after the World Cup because you got the two wins. Yes, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't perfect by any means the way those two victories came about. But you thought that Liverpool were moving in the right direction. The Brentford game obviously then you know, stops all of that. But equally, you're at home. You want to. You want to put on a show for the supporters. And you know, it, it sort of matters because it's probably the first time we're going to see Cody Gakpo, and that'll be a nice. Um, it'd be interesting to see how, how Klopp uses him, how he's, you know, that first game. Hopefully he does what his, his fellow Dutchman did and scores the winner. Um, that'd be nice. <laughs> so it, it's important in that regard in that you're giving Cody Gakpo the chance to to begin that adaptation, to begin that bedding in process and, and learning, you know, what Liverpool are going to do. So it'd be interesting to see the team. And it sounded a little bit like Wolves might use it as a bit of a chance to to rest players, but um, because they're, they're, you know, their priorities lie elsewhere, whereas Liverpool do as well in terms of that top four fight. But you know, as as we saw last season, if you can keep momentum just continuing, you and winning every game that you play in terms of not just in the league but in the cups as well, uh, it, it can really help teams. You know, having gone out the League Cup and then lost in the manner they did at Brentford, I think as much as of course the top four is a priority and. And repairing some of that damage. Liverpool can't afford another setback at the moment. We know what it's like with negativity. When one follows another setback, follows another cloud can can quickly gather. And especially, you know, back at Anfield, you know, FA Cup holders having gone so long since winning the competition. You know, who, who doesn't want a day out at Wembley? The, you know, late late at the back end of the season. So. I think he'll make some changes, but I don't think, I, I think it would be reckless to make too many because, you know, I think there's been a, a decent gap between Brentford and, and, and Saturday night. They've got a full week, of course, after this one, you know, before they go to Brighton in the Premier League. So I don't see the point, I think, of, of, of resting a whole load of players. And as Andy said, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, all eyes will be on Cody Gagpo. You know, now all the paperwork is done. We'd expect him to be involved. And Liverpool at the moment are just crying out for a lift, aren't they? And it's um, and that's why, you know, we just hope that, that Gagpo has the, the kind of same kind of impact as Luis Diaz did 12 months ago, because that was the perfect example, Diaz, of how, you know, a new signing in the January window can just give everyone a lift. And, you know, not everyone needs a huge amount of time to get their feet under the table and adapt. And I'm sure it'll be a similar story, I think, in terms of Gagpo, in terms of, you know, whether he can replicate the heights that Diaz hit early on, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm sure Klopp won't be burdening him with all kinds of tactical instructions. It will be, you're on the left of the front three, exactly where you played for PSV. Just go and do for us what you what have you done for PSV in the first half of the season? And um, yeah, you just hope he can provide a, a spark because um, what you can't afford is anyone 
feeling sorry for themselves. Otherwise, you know, Liverpool will will be on the end, wrong end of an upset. My view on this is that any chance you get to boo the national anthem in May is a good thing. So I hope we go on and win the, the, the FA Cup. Well, that's all for now from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Andy for joining me. We'll be back on Monday with reactions to Saturday's game with Wolves and hopefully something more cheerful to get stuck into. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. The Athletic.